Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Metabolic Classroom, a nutrition and lifestyle podcast focused on the truth behind why we get sick and fat. What you're about to hear was taken from a live broadcast streamed on InsulinIQ.com. The Metabolic Classroom is brought to you by InsulinIQ and by Health Code Meal Replacement Shakes. Episode 21, Fiber, Friend or Foe? Dietary fiber enjoys a lofty position in the hallowed halls of dietary advice, but the truth is more complicated. Whether fiber is helpful or harmful depends on other factors. The topic that everyone tuned in for was exploring the role of fiber. Now, fiber enjoys a very lofty position when it comes to the food, uh, food we eat and food we've been told we should eat. And I think there is some nuance there. There is some reason to uh, look at it as a hero. But I also think that we've given it uh, a status that maybe it perhaps doesn't wholly deserve. So first of all, there are a few points that I wanted to bring up as we talk about the role of dietary fiber in good metabolic health. A study published in 1981, and we have a link to this study, and it's entitled, it was published in the, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, the role of dietary fiber in satiety, glucose, and insulin. And this study, I think, is a good kind of microcosm of the value of fiber or when fiber has a significant place. And that is when you are eating foods that are fairly high in starches and sugars, you know, uh, foods that can be metabolized into glucose, having fiber, a part of that is a good thing. Now, so, so what this study found was that when someone would, say, drink a, just, even if it was isocaloric, an amount of apple juice, but then they ate an isocaloric amount of apple, you know, eating the apple with that fiber, there was a significant reduction. It was about 40% uh, less when it came to the insulin and the glucose response. So I think if we extrapolate that, or in other words, apply that to more general eating habits, I think the safe takeaway from that is that when you eat fiber in the context of a high carbohydrate diet, that's a good thing. That fiber is going to mitigate 
the glycemic effect and the insulinogenic effect of those refined starches and sugars. So in that context, fiber is, is good. Now, I also think <clears throat> there might, and now this is pure speculation, <clears throat> when some people adopt a low-carbohydrate diet, as we all know, uh, the intestinal habits, the bowel movement uh, can change. And so in some instances, fiber may be helpful, but in both instances, whether it is fiber in the context of a high-carbohydrate diet just to help mitigate the glycemic and insulinogenic effect, or whether it's fiber in the context of a low-carb diet to help with a more steady bowel movement pattern, because some people want that, then make sure it is soluble fiber. I would encourage people to avoid insoluble fiber. Soluble fiber is the fiber that you get from fruits and vegetables. Insoluble fiber, which has no evidence to show that it improves glycemic um, level, glucose levels. It doesn't improve insulin levels. It is simply providing bulk and that bulk, in fact, may be uh, a little harmful um, to the intestines. So focus on soluble fiber, not insoluble fiber. Now, I mentioned that one study, which was the role of dietary fiber in satiety, glucose, and insulin. I think that's a good study that allows us to safely conclude that focusing on fiber in the context of a high-carbohydrate diet is a good thing. Now, the next study I want to show, though, starts to change this up a little bit. This study was also published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 1994. And they, the title of it is Decreased Postprandial Thermogenesis and Fat Oxidation, but Increased Fullness After a High-Fiber Meal Compared with Low-Fiber Meal. So what they found in this study, uh, they split the people up into two groups, or they had them, the same group actually repeat and eat two different meals. In, on one meal, it was a high-fiber, high-carbohydrate, low-fat uh, diet or meal, the other one was a lower fiber, lower carbohydrate, higher fat meal. And the group or, or the, the time when the subjects ate the high fiber, high carbohydrate, that was, that's a bit of a confounding variable, right? Because it was also high carbohydrate. They found that they had a reduction in metabolic rate and a reduction in fat burning. No, metabolically, neither of those would be particularly favorable. In contrast, the group that had the lower fiber but it was also the lower carbohydrate. So I, again, that's a confounding variable. They had high, a higher metabolic rate or what's called diet-induced thermogenesis. So after you eat, the metabolic rate went much higher than the other group. And much more of that was um, from fat burning. So fat oxidation was um, cons uh, considerably higher. And of course, that's entirely a result of what these foods did to insulin. And fiber on its own would do nothing to insulin. So I do think the carbohydrates being there are a confounding variable. Now, however, the higher fiber group did have a higher satiety than the other group following the meal. Now, that's right following the meal, so it's not too surprising. They did eat a higher volume of food, so it stands to reason that in a couple hours afterwards, they just felt more full than the other group. So, you know, a plus and a con, I guess, if you want to take it that far. Now, the last study is perhaps the most controversial, but also interesting. This was published in the World Journal of Gastroenterology in 2012, so it was more recent than the others. And the title of this study is Stopping or Reducing Dietary Fiber Intake Reduces Constipation and Its Associated Symptoms. Now, let me say that again, because the title may be so 
contrary to what many would expect. Stopping or reducing dietary fiber intake reduces constipation and its associated symptoms. So what this study found was that individuals who were deliberately focusing on protein, and this may be people who were adding Metamucil, you know, actually adding fiber or seeking out the fiber in their diet, when they were actively seeking to add more fiber, and then they were told to stop, their constipation actually got better. Their, their gut, their bowel movements, which was the main outcome here, got, it was it improved. I think that is an important lesson because in some individuals, most certainly, trying to add more fiber may not be the magic pill that they expect it will be when it comes to gut health or at least gut distress, gastrointestinal distress with regards to constipation and normal bowel movements. So fiber is good, no question in the context of a high, well, not to, to me, it's no question. In the context of a high carbohydrate diet, fiber is very good. In the context of a low carbohydrate diet, fiber may be okay. Um, depending on the individual, I'd say it's a fine, if not inert molecule, but in some people, it may be contributing to constipation. But once again, focus on soluble fiber, the fiber that you get from fruits and vegetables and avoid insoluble fibers. And those are more the fibers that you're getting from grain. The insoluble fibers do not improve metabolic markers at all. They simply provide bulk into your stool, into your intestines without any actual metabolic benefit. Soluble fiber does both. It does improve metabolic markers, insulin, glucose, you know, cholesterol levels, if anyone's worried about those, there's evidence to support that it helps that. Uh, and it also provides some bulk as well. So focus on soluble if you're going to focus on fiber at all. So Ben, it's a question. So it was interesting. When I, when I first started my journey uh, 10 years ago, one of the first, um, I started to listen to Jeff Volick and Finney, and they had some interesting concepts on fiber that were completely new to me. And has, I can't remember the lady's name, but, but it had somebody on one of their podcasts. And it was fascinating for me to first hear about the, the relevance of not having, you know, that fiber in our diet and that, that it was really not as necessary as we once thought it was, be, uh, especially on, on a low-carbohydrate diet. This morning, just for fun, I listened to Dave Asprey's Bulletproof uh, podcast. I like Dave. I, I like a lot of the stuff that he, he says. But he had a lady on that taught, had a book called Fiber and Keto. And they're promoting, you know, upwards to, you know, close to 100 grams of fiber a day. You know, I think most people are looking at maybe 20 to 30 grams of fiber a day. So they were thinking how important it was. I think mostly from a gut biome or a, oh. a gut health component. So, I mean, you know, and Dave, you know, he's got lots of things he's selling. And I'm not sure how that intertwines with his messaging. But, but even in, I mean, I know outside of the keto world, fiber is so important. But I think even inside the keto world, there are some really opposite points of view that are being spread. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my views on dietary fiber are uh, to focus on dietary fiber as a means to improve your gut microbiome, improve is meaningless. I do not. Uh, I know that there are some people who feel extraordinarily strongly about the gut microbiome. I am not one of those. Not that I don't think it's relevant. I do. I just think we know next to nothing about when, when it actually comes to how to manipulate or leverage your gut microbiome to improve your metabolic health, there's nothing uh, that has convinced me that anyone who speaks on that topic knows at all what they're talking about. 
my sentiment on it would uh, would be that if someone's adopted a low carbohydrate diet and they want some fiber, and I would have no problem with that, I'd say that's just fine. You do so because your intestines just seem to want a little more bulk than you get from a purely low carb, let alone ketogenic diet. I would say do not do so because you are concerned about your gut microbiome. And again, I'm not saying there's no role for the, the microbiome. Absolutely, it is relevant. And, and, and maybe there's, there, there is evidence to support, um, to, to show that people taking probiotics um, have some improvements in metabolic health. There's also strong evidence to show that when people take broad spectrum antibiotics and strip their gut of all bacteria, that they gain much more weight, much more readily. So there's no question the gut microbiome is relevant. I think it is simply uh, without basis to claim that the relative lack of fiber in a low carbohydrate diet is going to somehow damage your gut microbiome. There is no evidence in humans to support that whatsoever. There's no question that by reducing fiber content, you will change your gut microbiome. But to say that that's an overtly harmful thing is, is simply unjustified. So Ben, I got another question. So um, um, it seems like my clients, as we reduce the carbohydrate intake, they have less need for fiber. Is that, is that, is that what you see? Oh, well, now you see stuff that I don't see and the evidence is not there for me to speak on, but I would say that certainly rings true to me, not only my personal experience, um, but also what I would imagine to be the case in, in human physiology. What someone would have to um, come to is to be okay with less frequent bowel movements, you know, because that's, that is what happens. And some people are just really used to having three poops a day and they just need to, they need to kind of come to the point where they realize that they've adapted in a way. And now they only have one a day, for example. Um, uh, and so in that sense, fiber can provide that kind of continuity or that comfort of, of bowel habits that people are more used to. And I have no problem with that. Can I add to that? So Carly, Emily, and I just got off of a, four week carnivore diet. Uh, we just finished it. And I felt the same way. I was kind of worried about not eating quite as much raw veggies in my diet. I was a little bit fearful of that. But as I stuck to strictly carnivore, I realized that. And I think Emily said the same thing. Tons. There was a significant decrease in my bloating and gas mm -hmm. and my need to relieve myself. Mm -hmm. Um, with the carnivore diet, I didn't feel the need for those raw veggies near as much. And I did just increase my magnesium slightly to help, but I didn't feel like I needed more fiber to help with bowel movements. And mm -hmm. I find that often with my clients as well, just with a slight increase in magnesium, not fiber. We can see that change. Uh, they feel a little bit more comfortable with the bloating. And I think fiber oftentimes increases that bloating and gas, not decrease it. And actually, in the World Journal of uh, gas, Gastroenterology, Enterology. Enterology. Yeah, that's a big one. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah. Uh, that link you sent us talks about the increase in bloating and gas on a higher fiber diet. And so uh, magnesium doesn't do that to us. It helps with smooth muscle contraction. It doesn't cause that excess bloating that uh, fiber does. 
Hey Ben, I got yeah, a question so rich, for you. Rich, though, but in, in the con, what you, where you'd mentioned where people were advocating 100 grams a day, that to me just seems insane. Right. Um, I would say, I think that you know, if someone were wanting to focus on some fiber, then then I would say in that much more in that modest range, like you just indicated, 20 to 30 grams. That to me, I think would be absolutely sufficient. Right now, Ben, I got another question. This is a little bit uh, <laughs> you. you you, you have this product in your shake, and, a, and it's kind of becoming really popular now is inulin, that prebiotic fiber. Can you talk a little bit about that and if that's beneficial and why you put it in the shake and so forth? Yep, yep. That's a great question. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, so inulin is a known prebiotic, so it is a soluble fiber that does get metabolized by bacteria. Part of the reason I actually, one of the things I find incredibly compelling about the gut bacteria and what they do to fiber, soluble fiber, is that uh, they will use that fiber actually to turn it into short-chain fatty acids. That is what the bacteria are actually pumping out when they've eaten some of those prebiotic. That's why it's called prebiotic, because it is, in fact, a fuel for bacteria that are thought to be beneficial. But again, I, I emphasize, air quote, the word thought to be beneficial, because we just don't really know exactly what's help, uh, what the bacteria are doing and why. Um, now, it's an interesting point of, of the science of putting a powdered shake together. When you take fats like coconut oil and ghee and, and uh, olive oil, like, like we did with Health Code, <clears throat> you have to actually put it on something. And so there are, all, there are some things, or you, you have to spray it onto something that's a carrier because, of course, those are oils. They don't want to be a powder. Those don't come in a powder form like you can with, say, whey or egg white. Um, and so we had choices, and we put them onto protein and fiber. So there were two different carriers that we put on, and inulin was one of those, just because we knew we needed a carrier to make a powder um, from a liquid. So it's pretty clever engineering in that sense. And I was much more an advocate and insisted that we use these soluble fibers, and inulin is one of them. So I absolutely give inulin a green light, Indeed, not to defend health code, but, but to justify. That's why we put it in, because it's one that I consider to be a good one. Cool. Great. We've got a couple of questions that come in related to this topic um, from Natalie. Uh, she's on Instagram. Curious about a link between colon cancer, polyps, and insulin resistance. I've had recurrent polyps at a young age and when i heard you mention skin tags once which i also get i looked to see if there was any research turns out there seems to be a correlation between insulin resistance and precancerous polyps um, all the suggestions from the doctors are just high fiber diets no mention of controlling uh -huh. sugar yeah no no there is in fact so so she's right to note a correlation I am only aware of a correlation as well. And of course, everyone knows my thoughts on correlations. That is, that's all we can say is there's a coincidence. So coincidentally, we tend to see um, polyps in the intestine that, that happen more frequently with people that are insulin resistant. That is true. Now, the degree to which changing your insulin resistance can help your, those polyps go away, I just don't know. Um, however, whenever it comes to aberrant growth, like a polyp, I am always wondering at the anabolic effects of the insulin or how might insulin be contributing to that. One of the key 
um, mutations in many tumors. Now, a polyp's not a tumor, but if it is aptly considered precancerous, is that many of these tumors, uh, part of the cancer cell mutation encompasses an overexpression of insulin receptors. And so it wouldn't surprise me if polyps tend to have more than normal expression of insulin receptors. And, and, and thus, I would think to some degree, lowering your insulin by improving your insulin sensitivity would likely help to some degree, but it, unlike, I don't think it would be enough to resolve the entire problem. So why, why would doctors be recommending high-fiber diets? Yeah, I mean, because that we only know what we've been told, that's what, and a physician, always a physician have, is no right? different. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so if you're talking to a gastroenterologist, and, and Rich, you are good friends with, with some here in the Utah Valley area, um, you, you see how reluctant many of these people are to espouse the idea of lowering, uh, lowering um, insulin. They may be okay with lowering insulin. You can appeal to their kind of rational thinking in that regard. But the moment the conversation then shifts into, well, the best way to lower insulin is lowering carbohydrates, then you've lost them. That's, that's, that's so um, in opposition, in such stark opposition to what they've been told. And indeed, all the governing entities with, involved in health all proclaim the values of a high fiber diet. Because in the context of a high carbohydrate diet, which they're also claiming we should adhere to, then it is justified. But again, the whole story falls apart if you were actually to take out the carbohydrate, the refined starches themselves. Well, great. Uh, Rich and uh, Shelby, any, any other questions specific to uh, the fiber discussion? No, I think, uh, you know, I, 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 go ahead, Shelby. No, I was just going to, Diet Doctor has a really good article on this as well for those who are on Diet Doctor. They talk about how a low carbohydrate diet doesn't necessarily mean low fiber either. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually list 15 uh, low carbohydrate fruit and vegetables that have a significant source of fiber in it when eaten, as Dr. Bickman often says, as a whole, not just as a juice. Mm -hmm. um, but for those of you on Diet Doctor, uh, the article's called A Low-Carb Diet Does Not Mean a Low-Fiber Diet. And they go into detail there and then talk about the 15 top uh, high-fiber fruits and vegetables that you can eat. And so I think that's something I oftentimes uh, emphasize with my clients, that if they're getting enough fruits and vegetables and then they're having, we typically at Insulin IQ recommend two cups of vegetables a day, then they'll get enough fiber that their body needs. And if they're still having bowel movement issues, oftentimes, like I had mentioned before, a little magnesium fixes that, not higher carbohydrates and adding in those insoluble fibers. Um, I think from this, and Rich can talk if he wants, uh, we can go on about net carbs as well, especially in packaged food and the type of fiber they throw into those packaged foods to make them quote-unquote net carbohydrates and how they still have an effect on the blood sugar. They don't actually uh, have the same effect fruits and vegetables do on the blood sugar. That fiber is totally different than the fiber they put in packaged food. Uh, and so the effect those foods have on our blood sugar is higher than the effect like 20 grams of vegetables have on our uh, on our blood sugars. And so we oftentimes tell people like that fiber in packaged foods, you can't count those net carbs. It still has a, an insulin uh, response. 
but in vegetables, we can count those net carbs. And so just knowing the difference uh, in a client standpoint, I know this is different than what Dr. Bickman works with, but from our standpoint here at Insulin IQ, we don't like that uh, processed net carb food. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that can be, yeah, it's something that can be cheated because Mm -hmm. a lot of things can be called fiber and, and not actually act like fiber. In fact, case in point, there is a new keto bread at Costco that I saw and I was wearing, I often wear a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. And that was not a ketogenic glucose response that I saw. (laughs) I ate that bread and it did not, it did not taste good. And I wasn't overly, although it looked like it would be delicious. Um, and it was not, unfortunately, but I definitely spiked my glucose. I mean, not massive, like as if it were normal bread, which is, does elicit a very considerable glucose response. I think that's probably a wonderful example. You've got to be, you've got to be careful how they can play the game and what can be considered fiber, which would play against the net carbs or, or, you know, lower the net carbs. Um, uh, but if it is a real fiber source and I'm fine with that, but you just have to know some marketers um, get involved in how these foods are able to play that net carb game. So it's something that people can kind of cheat at. Yeah. Uh, Jack, I, I, think, I think our message here at Insulin IQ and, and when I talk to my clients is that we really need to help them keep it simple. I think we can get too complicated. And I, I think there are so many, there's so many places we can go. And if we'll just keep it simple and eat real food and, and uh, not worry about, I mean, there's so many supplements out there right now that, people get involved in to look for that magic, that magic bullet. And, and, and for the most part, I think most of them don't help. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you for listening to the Metabolic Classroom. This podcast is brought to you by Insulin IQ, nutrition and lifestyle coaching for insulin control and better health. Learn more at insuliniq.com. And by Health Code, the world's healthiest and most delicious meal replacement shake. Learn more at Get Health, that's G-E-T-H-L-T-H dot com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at Insulin IQ. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.